0: All right, let's open our Bibles again to 2 Peter. We've been away from it, and we return this evening. We've been away just for the one week because of Thanksgiving, and we return to 2 Peter now, and I uh, trust that uh, you've even been able to, in our break time, during the, th- during the times together for Thanksgiving, maybe spend a little bit of time in your own personal walk in this book, and hopefully that'll be an encouragement to you. We'll find ourselves beginning our, our passage in chapter Second tw- Peter chapter 2, We'll be looking at chapter twelve or verse twelve of that chapter. Sorry, not chapter two. Chapter one. We'll be looking at verse uh, twelve of that chapter, going on down to verse twenty-one of chapter one. And as we're going there, perhaps here you can imagine for your second that you are reading the book of Second Peter for the first time with those gathered around you and. Uh, at this point, Peter, I trust you have understand, even in this study and this journey together, Peter is a well-known uh, and, and, and respected man in the community, and you want to hear what he has to say. And so you're reading his letter, and maybe you read it once, like most people read the first time you get a letter from someone. You may not study and parse it out verse by verse, you're just going to sit it down and read it in one fell sitting, and as you read it in one fell sitting the first time, you're going to come away with a theme. You're going to come away with something that they really wanted to get across to you. Now the longer the letter, the more topics they're going to cover, but there's definitely going to be a theme or a central key point to the letter itself. So that's how you're reading it. And if you were going to read the letter that way, Verses 12, 13, and 14 of the passage we're about to read are the key to the letter itself. They're, they're, the, they're the unfolding of the letter. Everything kind of hinges on these verses. And here's what Paul sa- or Peter rather, says, beginning in 2 Peter, beginning in chat, verse 12. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. For instance, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So Paul, Peter, rather, I keep saying Paul, Peter is saying, I, I am writing to you to remind you of some very important things, and even if you've already known them, I'm still going to remind you. Here's, here's one person put it as a paraphrase this way. Even though... You are up to date on this truth and practice it inside and out. I'm not going to let you up for a minute in calling you to attention before it. I know that I'm going to die soon, so I'm especially eager that you have all of this down in black and white so that after I die, you will have it as a ready reference." And I know you know this truth. I'm going to repeat it to you, and perhaps with more earnestness, because I know I'm about to die. Now, before we go any further, how does Peter know he's about to die, even in the verse itself? Well, if you want to see it really clearly, he says, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter is aware of this. He knows about this. So this is an earnest plea. And Peter is writing, of course, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, so that when he is no longer around, the believers will have it all down in writing, and the truths that they know that are now in writing will be a light to their path, a lamp to their feet. That's what Peter's driving at. It's, if you will, Peter's last will and testament, right? This is Peter's Together, if you want to say it, this is Peter's last will and testament. Anybody know what what I'm referring to? I'm sure you do. Peter's saying this is is the important stuff. I, I know you're aware of this, but this is the important stuff. Now, before we read the passage, I want you to skip forward to chapter two, and I want you to see why there's an earnestness to his message. Look what it says beginning in chapter two, verse one, and then I'll ask the question, why is this so important? He says in verse 1, But false, uh, false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false te- teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So why is it important to Peter, as he knows that his death is soon, to write down truth, even though he's already confessed, that this audience knows the truth he's now reminding them about. Why is that so important based on chapter 2, verse 1? What's that? Well, they have it in writing. And why do they need it in writing? Because their false teachers already started. Their false teachers have already started. They're already leaking in. That's exactly right. They're saying that the, the, the people are denying this message. You you know this message, but there's this denial of it, and I don't want it just to be hearsay. I, I'm putting this down in writing so that it is really clear, it is settled. By the way, we we still have, praise the Lord for God's providence in preserving his word, we have Peter's letter so that we can be settled. This is not... You ever played, um, this is kind of a fun one with kids, you ever played the game Telephone before? Right? And you have them start down here on one end, and then they whisper it into the next kid's ear, and then on down the line until it comes down all the way here to Pastor Paul, and then you ask Pastor Paul what he thought that this person over here said, and it's always funny to hear the difference, and it's just all just passing down. So they are just, you know, they're not even a generation removed from Christ. In fact, they still have Peter and the apostles there to teach them. This is now coming to a close, at least as far as apostles are concerned. Peter's about to exit the scene, as have others before him already. And so why, again, is it important to have it down in writing? Because if we just rely on stories that have been passed down from one thing to the next... It's going to be like playing the game of telephone eventually. Eventually, over here, you know, years later, whatever the beliefs are that they may be carrying may look very different than, than this generation over here had. So, Peter's going to write this down. Even if you already know this, I'm going to write this down to you because it's that important to me. This is the key to his book. So, if you were going to, at that time, Ask Peter, why do you feel the need to write this epistle? Here's why. Right, if you were, you ever done like the, uh, some of you listen to podcasts and stuff now, they can be fun. I like listen to them when I'm driving into work or something. And sometimes at the beginning of the podcast, they'll give kind of a, a quick overview of what you're about to listen to. That if they were reading the overview, they would be reading verses 12 through 14. Or if you get a book and on the back cover of the book it kind of gives you an overview of what's inside the book. This would be on the back cover of 2 Peter. Why is it important that Peter's writing it? Again, to reiterate, Peter's about to die. And in light of that, Peter feels it important to convey to his readers that what he has writing down is not some clever invention. That's really important to him. Remember, come back. We're going to read our passage in a second, but we've got to lay down the groundwork. This is who he's kind of fighting against. These are these false teachers. Let's read it again, and, and let's kind of pick up on who they are like. These false prophets arose among the people. What does that indicate to you? What, what, do, we no, what do we notice if they're among the people? What, is, what are we indicating there, right there, if they're among the people? Inside the church. They're inside the church, right? Let's pause for a second, because oftentimes when we think of of, of false prophets, we think of the people out there, and we don't think of the people in here. He's saying they're in here. So false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. So uh, there are, are false prophets in other churches, it appears, and he's saying it's gonna happen to you as well. Don't be so naive to think it won't happen everywhere. Who will secretly bring in Destructive heresies. What's a heresy? What's that? A false prophet. prophet. False False doctrine. What's false doctrine? Keep kind of breaking down the layers to this. What's false doctrine? Well, let's ask it in the positive sense. What's true doctrine? How do we know that something is true doctrinal? It's fr- you, you go against the God's word. That's how you know it's true doctrine. It has to be it measured according to the standard of God's word. If it doesn't measure itself according to the standard of God's word, if it disagrees with the standard of God's word, it's a heresy. It's a false doctrine, however you want to describe it. But Peter is writing this letter. Right? He's going to remind them of something. He's addressing heresies. He's addressing false doctrines. Here's the question. Is the letter at the time they received it, the first time you get it, for whatever, was it in parchment or leather, however they wrote it, right? The first time they got it, was it God's word? And that's what Peter is addressing. He's different than these false prophets, And here's why. You ready for it? And here's what he's gonna say. All right, now we can finally pick up our reading, right? Beginning in verse 15. I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Even after my departure. Just reiterate again what he said in verses 12 through 14. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, and, uh, excuse me, and voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. By the way, when did that phrase happen? Anybody remember? This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. When did that take place? That's the baptism, right? That's, That's Christ's baptism. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We'll get to that one in a second. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place under the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, That no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How did we get the Word of God? This is all about the doctrine of inspiration. It was not a result of his going away and dreaming up some scheme with the other apostles that maybe a lot of people could be cleverly duped into believing or following. But rather, Peter acknowledges that he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses and they could be no more sure about it than they were because of who they are as individuals. So, look what he says in verse 16. And these are important truths. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now those of you who are in the realm of law, perhaps, or you just watch Law and Order, right? (laughs) You know how important an eyewitness is to a courthouse. If I'm gonna put together, even prior to my training in ministry, I really thought that I was gonna go and be a lawyer, right? In fact, I did, through high school, I did forensics and debate and did it in college as well because I really thought that's what I was gonna do. And so my wife knows that if there's a choice between a lawyer movie and something else, I wanna watch the lawyer one because I like lawyers, right? But a lawyer would understand, if I'm putting down a case, there's a difference between a case that's developed through just circumstantial evidence, though that can happen, and a solid eyewitness account, especially if you have several, and in this case, there are. And Peter is, has alluded to this, I want you to know, Peter has alluded to the eyewitness nature of what he is preaching on more than one occasion, certainly here, but even famously in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Acts 2. We'll be in 2 Peter, but go with me. I'll put it on the screen as well. But Acts 2, of course, is the day of Pentecost, and, and Peter is preaching. And I just want you to notice one verse here. Peter's been preaching, and he says in verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about this, he's talking, but look at verse 32. I already have it highlighted there. This Jesus, God's raised up, and of that we are all Witnesses. Steve? I was going to say, well, back and forth, when we said that uh, this is my son, Jesus, who's going to come up, please. Sure. He actually said he's going up into the
1: Mount. I actually read this morning. But yeah. It's yeah.
0: actually in Matthew 17 with, with the transfiguration. You're right. Jesus said, this is my son, Jesus, who's going on both up, So, we're going to get to that one. The, he, he is absolutely talking about the trans, I mean, mountain of Transfiguration. Yeah. He's talking about the Pharisees and all that, and he's talking about the false religions you, you're absolutely right. In a moment, we're going to get to the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to see that. So hold that thought for about two minutes, and we're going to come to it. But you're, Steve's absolutely right. He's talking about the Mountain of Transfiguration that they observed, that Peter's talking about. And it's not the first time that Peter's alluded to these eyewitnesses. Acts 2, we are all witnesses. And see, Indeed, by the way, in this passage, some of those who were listening and observing this in the crowd on that day, would have been included in those eyewitnesses, some of these people as well, Paul will use the same thing, this, this allusion to an uh, eyewitness account. Come with me to second Corinthians, come with me to second corinthians i 'll put it on the screen, and I already have it highlighted. Second Corinthians chapter four verse two. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he 's using a lot of the same language that Peter did when he says, "But we have renounced disgraceful, unhindered ways." We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. Hold that thought. I'm going to put Second Peter on the screen, because Peter's using the same thing. Notice again, Peter and Paul, of course, under pen of inspiration. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. That's Peter's Word. Now come back to Second Corinthians and read it again. Paul says sim- similar. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ's sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Someone has said, if the apostles really had devised some fake religion, they are of all people some of the biggest fools to grace the earth i mean imagine the 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 well you know the, of the persecution of paul and and the martyrdom of john and the martyrdom of peter eventually why are they so devoted to this because it is truth this is not cunningly devised they didn't meet together in a room and come up with a cool storyline and then agree to follow it together afterwards this is the truth they didn't have to collaborate they saw it. This is an eyewitness account. By the way, an application in passing. Every time someone offers you a book that to them is the key to the understanding of the Bible, just pass that other book by. It's not the key, right? And every time someone offers you the real explanation, this is just a new thing you've never heard, Just it isn't, just know that. And every time someone suggests a secret that forever before had been hidden, that is now revealed in 2022, just know if it's new, it's probably not true. (laughs) The Bible is absolutely plain and straightforward. It is absolutely plain and straightforward. That's why I can go to 2 Peter, and then I can go to Corinthians, and then I can go somewhere else, and they can write about the same accounts, and they all agree. Why? Why? Because it really happened. It didn't just make this stuff up. And all this is true and necessary, and it's contained. There's not a line in Scripture that is irrelevant. There's nothing out that needs to be put back in. It's all here for us. And here's where we come to what Steve has already alluded to. We were eyewitnesses, he says, of His Majesty. What is he talking about when he talks about his majesty? And one of the references uh, Steve just gave to us is, in fact, in Matthew 17. And the other one, there's another reference to it, we can add to it, is Luke chapter 9. And if you could hear what what Steve said, what took place in those. Let's let's read the Luke chapter 9 passage. Uh, I'll put it on the screen. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 21. Luke chapter 9. Um, beginning in verse, uh, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse, beginning in verse 29, excuse me, in verse 29, it says, and he was praying, this is speaking of Jesus, The appearing as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, this is Jesus, and his clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which He was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, and now, notice who's there, I just want you to notice that, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here, let us make three tens, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said, and on we we hear this account of what is commonly referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. This is the the glory. And at that time, these men, if you go forward to verse 36 of that same passage, though I don't have it on the screen, at that time in Luke 9, as they're coming down back off the mountain, Jesus gives an interesting command that they then follow, and it's something that is commanded. We we learned about it in Mark. The, The maniac with Gadara is told the same thing. We learned about it even in the wedding of Canaan. Uh, at Cana, rather, there's a time when Jesus says this to certain people, don't tell what happened. Why not, is the question. Why not, <laughs> is the question. It's not time yet. But here we come to Second Peter, and remember, he's, he's been told, don't say it, and they don't. We say that in verse 36 of chapter 9. They don't share it. They don't share about what took place on the Mount Transfiguration. They don't talk about that yet. And then we come to 2 Peter and what is he doing? He's talking about it. So why now? It is time. And, and to David's point, he's absolutely right. It is kind of now or never, isn't it? We, we just heard that that Peter said, the Lord has told me that I'm gonna go. Now the transfiguration was something of a preview, it really was, and that's what's significant about it. The transfiguration is something of a preview of what will happen when the Lord returns. And there are are four things that these men saw and observed that are something of a preview of what will happen at Christ's return. We see the manifestation of glory, The visible manifestation of glory, and that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. That'll be a preview, what will happen uh, at at Christ's return. We see the appearance of Old Testament saints. We see that um, on the Mount of Transfiguration. We'll see that again one day when Christ returns. We see the, the kingly son. We see the kingly son. In all of his honor and glory, really, we, say, we, we talk about glory, but we see him in all of his honor there. and then we see the presence, the presence of the Father in that same account. And we'll see that certainly, on the day. And in that moment, these men, Peter included, were given a sneak preview of what it'll be like when Jesus one day gloriously returns. Pretty remarkable. And Peter's message was based now, what his message to them in Second Peter was based upon what he had both seen, eyewitness account in verse 16, and not only what he had seen, but come over to verse 18, it says not only had he seen it, but we also know that he heard this. So this message that Peter now gives to them is something based on what he has seen and what he has heard. And this recognition, there's three times we recognize that Christ has said that. This is my beloved Son. We know that it happens in the baptism. We know that it happens at the Mount of Transfiguration. And though not explicitly, but certainly in form, there's a third time when we know Christ is saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that has to be at the resurrection. At least in Scripture. And what are we looking forward to when this is going to happen one more time? That is Second Coming. That is Second Coming. All the others are kind of a a, a sneak preview of what's still to come. This is a wonderful testimony. This allows Peter to say he received honor and glory from the Father. That was in verse 17. This allows him to say that. And notice in verse 18, it says, in verse 18, we were with him on that holy mountain. That's where he was. When you read the book of Acts, you find a recurring theme, by the way. When Peter, that same recurring theme, when Peter is in the home in Acts, if you want to jot this down, uh, if you want to jot down Acts, I'm using the wrong marker there. If you want to jot down Acts, Chapter 10, verse 43, and go to it at a different time, I don't have it on the screen, but when Peter is in the home of Cornelius testifying of these things concerning Jesus, Peter will say, all the prophets testify about him. That's, that's what he says in Acts 10, verse 43, all the prophets testify about him. In other words, to convince Cornelius that this took place, what Peter is saying is, just go read your Bible." Don't know about Jesus? Just go read your Bible. So I just did something interesting with you this evening. Normally, I'll give you the outline breakdown, and then we'll parse it out together. I've just parsed it out with you, and now I'm going to give you the outline breakdown. As there are two points, all right? And the first is found in verses one, verse sixteen through eighteen, and verses sixteen through eighteen. And the second one is found in chapter one, verses nineteen through twenty-one. Let me see if you can help us out. I want to see how well we're learning this exercise of trying to parse out the Bible. In verses 16 through 18, what is Peter's theme? What is his focus? What is he trying to do? What's all of those 16, 17, and 18, what are all of those verses about? Well, he's going to come to that in in the next verses. What's that? What's that? His authority, and his authority comes because of God's word. We'll get to that in verse 19 through 20. In verses 16 through 18, this is all about his eyewitness, right? Look at those verses again. That's all about, and you're right, his authority. So Peter defends his authority, his doctrine, on the basis of his eyewitness account. That's 16, 17, and 18. And then verses 19, 20 to 21, which we're now going to spend the rest of our time on, this now comes down to the authority, and he's going to defend the authority of prophetic word, or we could say scripture itself. That's what verses 19, 20, and 21 are all about. So he's, again, just kind of use the ease here. Peter is kind of presenting a case. You've heard or you will soon enough from false prophets. I've also taught you. They've taught you, I've taught you, no doubt, at least in mannerisms and custom, there's a lot of similarities. How can I tell that what Peter is saying is true and what they are saying is wrong? Peter's gonna build a case, he's gonna write it down before his death. Here's one, I saw it. Like, like, dude, I saw that stuff. (laughs) And so do the other apostles, for that matter. And two, what I'm writing to you, and just like the rest of the word of God, this is prophetic word. This comes from the Holy Spirit himself. Now come to verse 19, because there's something we need to play out and pick apart a little bit more. In verse 19, we read Peter say, and we have the prophetic word, and the ESV says, more Fully complete is how the ESV puts it. More fully complete. I'm going to put it over here in blue so you can see them together. Uh, if you have a King James Bible, it'll say, uh, it'll say more sure. We have a more sure word of prophecy is how the King James will put it. If you have a NASB, I'm putting it in blue so you can see it again. If you have a NASB, it says, similarly to the King James, it says, made more sure. And we've got to decide. This is an enigmatic statement. And commentators are kind of equally split on what does he mean. I'm not going to write them all down because they're a little bit long. But let me give you the first one. Here's a question. There's there's two kind of groups on what Peter could be saying in verse 19. Is Peter saying that the word of the Old Testament is more certain as a result of having been confirmed in the transfiguration. Is that what he's saying? That the word of the Old Testament is more certain as a result of its confirmation on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's one possibility. Or, number two, does he mean that the Old Testament scriptures are confirming the apostolic testimony that they now bring? Justin says both. <laughs> and Justin, for his part, would agree with, and I don't agree with this particular guy at all parts, but he's old, so I'll quote him. That's what John Calvin believed. L- let, me, let me read what Calvin wrote. He says, the authority of the word of God, just because I quote someone doesn't mean I agree with everything they say, but I do like this quote. The authority of the word of God is the same as it was in the beginning, And then it was given for them the confirmation then before the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a long way of saying Calvin was in the middle, right? And I kind of think you can be in the middle because this this is not main and plain. It could be in the middle. So with the arrival of the the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what I'm saying, the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Old Testament suddenly comes into clear focus and Christ confirms all that the new testament or rather the old testament writers had said in his bodily presence which is further corroborated if not exclamation point put on the end of it on the mount of transfiguration so peter turns people and he says you want to know about god where can you learn about him where is he kind of, they're saying, come to Peter, they say, "Where I want to learn about God, and Peter says, here's where you can learn about God. Where would Peter point you? What are the resources available to you to learn about God? Exactly. The word of God. So, here's what he says in verse 18, because he's going to add something that's pretty startling, and you want to think about it. We, Peter says, we ourselves have... Heard this very voice born from heaven. There has been a voice from heaven, and it was given to this we. This very important we. We have to ask who is the we that heard the voice from heaven? those that were with him and the prophets. That's the we. There's a very specific we that he's talking about. He's not talking about everybody on the earth. He's not talking about believers that have the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about anybody else. But in context, those that are with him in the transfiguration, that's the verses before, and the prophets, the verses that came afterwards. Add to that group, you take away What he's intending to communicate. The apostles and others heard the voice under the Spirit's leading, and when they heard the voice under the Spirit's leading, what did they do? They wrote the scriptures. And we don't need to sit around waiting for a voice from heaven, then. We have the voice of the prophets which are more sure. They are more certain. You want to hear the voice of God? Stick to your Bible. Return to the certainty of God's word. We are to be alarmed at any occasion where people gather, as Alistair Begg says, to praise, and they put the Bible as a secondary thing. Think about it. I mean, I just want to think for a moment. I, I want you to understand what's going on. And I hope these Wednesday nights as we've done this has been helpful exercise in this regard. Do you know how many hours it takes to prepare something and then teach it, let alone prepare the Word of God and then prepare and teach that lesson? Some of you have done that, right? It takes a lot of time. And I like to write, rec- I, I think of it like this, right? When you, when you receive the Word of God, not to be gross in my illustration, but there, we talk about receiving the word of God as, as babies receive milk, then you grow, and you have bread, some people say, and then eventually you want to receive the meat of God's word. What's the difference? Well, well, milk, not to be gross, is, is pre-digested food. So when you listen to someone teach, even like this on Wednesday night, what you are receiving from me is a glass of milk. I have spent time preparing the lesson, and now I'm giving you, I hope you enjoy this glass of milk, right? And sometimes it's better milk than others, admittedly, okay? But when do you actually get to eat meat? When you do it. When you do it. That's meat. You're the one digesting, you're the one cutting it, you're the one praying, that's, that's meat. So what Peter is trying to get his audience, all right? Peter's saying, I've given you milk for a while, I'm about to leave you need meat so therefore this is not marginally important is it no wonder peter makes this point as he's about to die he's saying don't forget the bible is absolutely sufficient this is last word on, it is the last word on every subject it is true even when it is unpalatable to contemporary culture now why is it that any supposed new word is supposedly important. Have you ever heard from some that say, Well, I believe God spoke directly to me? We're gonna spend some time on this Sunday evening, right? We'll say, Well, I, I believe that the Bible is true and all of that, but I believe also that God spoke directly to me. Do you have a problem with that? Now, some many would say, I, I believe in a closed canon. What does that mean? When I say closed canon, Bible students, what does that mean? Nancy? The Bible is complete. complete. How many books in the Bible are there? 66. So when I say there's a closed canon, I mean there's just the 66. There's no more, there's no less, right? Just those 66. And many who would say, many, many who would say, I believe God spoke directly to me, would also say in the same voice, but I believe in a closed canon. And what I would say is, you cannot have your canonicity cake and eat it too, right? (laughs) Because what they're saying really is, you don't add to the canon of Scripture, and yet they want us to believe that there's a canon for living that's open. But my Bible says that we have all that we need for life and godliness. If there is new words that you can get elsewhere outside of God's word, several questions. One, why only you? Why why, why doesn't that get written down for all the rest of us to enjoy? And what if for whatever reason, I disagree with your new word. That might, well, we all kind of have all kinds of you know, questions about that. Two, why is it that your new word was important and so important in 2022 that it was new, but God didn't consider it important enough to include it in the Bible all those years ago? Are you somehow more astute than the eyewitnesses like Peter? Is that really what you're prepared to argue for? So many would say, and this is why MacArthur calls those who'd say they believe in a closed canon and yet also believe that God can speak directly to you, he says it's the very definition of oxymoron. You can't have it both ways. Now why I bring that up, because that's exactly what I believe is dealt with beginning in chapter two. This is why Paul, B- Peter, I keep saying Paul, again come down to verse, because chapters were not, You know, there. This is just a flow of thought. Okay, so sometimes we can get to the end of chapter one and be like, it's done. And and chapter one ends with a verse. I think many in this room have heard, if not already memorized, when it says, "No prophecy was." Excuse me. Uh, When it says here, "No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke as God from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." Before we move any further, what doctrine is that teaching? Anybody know what that's called? The doctrine of inspiration, right? Inspiration. So he's going to introduce the doctrine of inspiration. And on the heels of that introduction, what is he dealing with again in chapter 2, verse 1? All these false teachers. Which should tell you something about how they are presenting their truths. Here's basically what it seems they're saying. I have something new for you. Maybe they packaged it a little bit more spiritual, right? There's a new way, a better way to get to know God. Boy, for most believers, at least at first blush, you'd be like, yeah, I want to know the new better way to get to know God. But they're, they're communicating things that are outside what Peter and the others have said. So that's what Peter's addressing, and he's addressing it in light of false teachers and heresies and people who follow shameful things. By the way, this is the same task of any pastor. They are to ensure that people are following the word of God as they are grounded in the work of Christ. And they point people any other direction than the word of God in the work of Christ, then it's really no help. As uh, one former Puritan said, and I'll quote on Sunday night, if new revelations disagree with the Bible, they are heretical. And if they agree with the Bible, they are unnecessary. Why do we need them? And those will never be any other divine light than the divine light we have here in the Scriptures. That's the point. Come back to verse 19. There will never be any other divine light that is more necessary to you than the divine light that we have in Scriptures. And we have the prophetic word more firmly confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. As a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Pause. What is that day? What is the day when the word of God is no longer the best, most important thing to physically look to? Like Heaven. Or the second coming. True. If, 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 depending on when we die. Right? But yes, absolutely. There will come a day right now, I've told this illustration before, my, my brother when he, and, and my sister-in-law who passed away and I, I, I always am reminded that I am older now as a pastor than my brother was when he was promoted to heaven. But my brother and sister-in-law, when they passed away, it was hard, but it was, one of the harder things was actually packing up their home. And I had to do that. You can imagine trying to do that yourself. In their apartment, I should say. And the last thing to get put in a box was with my friend. His name's Joe Fant. He now pastors in South Bend, Indiana. And the last thing to get put in the box was Courtney, my, who's also in heaven, my brother's wife, had put above the door, that right when you're leaving outside, she put a verse, a scripture verse, and, it's, and it, we didn't see it until we're leaving because you when you're coming in, you don't see it. You only see it when you're going out. And the verse said, we walk by faith, not by sight. That was the verse. And she wanted that to be seen every time her and Chad left the house. And I distinctly remember my friend Joe taking that off and handing it to me and saying, Chad and Courtney, now walk by sight. Do you get it? Right now, we walk by faith, not by sight. What is our guide as we walk by faith? We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, but one day we will walk by sight. That's pretty awesome. I can't wait for that. And that's what he says in verse 20 knowing this first of all. Like, if, if we'd say, like, there are things, like, if you're getting into your job and they're trying to tell you all of these important things that you need to know, and they're saying, like, now, or the preacher at the end of the message, if you get anything tonight, (laughs) get this one thing. I'm always afraid of using that phrase as it almost communicates like, you don't have to pay attention at all until at the end. (laughs) But he is saying, first of all, this is what you need to know. Because if if you get this wrong, it'll throw off everything else. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. If we disagree on that, If we say, you can have a revelation, and like Oprah, you get a revelation, and you get a revelation, and you get a revelation, right? And we all just kind of get our revelations, there will be, frankly, absolutely no unity. So what we'll have to do is we'll have to set up a new structure of hierarchy. And we'll have to say, well, there's these new prophets that are still living. Well, then we got Then that kind of gets disagreement because then we gotta decide who gets to be that, right? Who, who gets to be the prophet, and and then we gotta decide who gets to anoint that prophet, and then we gotta decide, like who's like it, it. Just you see what I'm saying? It gets really confusing because on a human, earthbound level, there's always a superior. We gotta figure out where that line is until eventually someone at the top of the pile is gonna say well, God spoke directly to me, and thereby, somehow, that person at the top of the pile, I guess, is closer to God than all the rest of us, right? Yeah, then we, then we basically just invented Catholicism and we have a pope. That, that, that's how that came about. So, if we can't agree that the word of God is our only basis of authority... We have no unity. What we have, and this kind of sounds really harsh, but it is, it is. What we have is a cult. Because what we've done is we've just created man-made people who have power and well-intended people, friends, go that way. Paul sa- Peter says, I keep saying Paul, Peter says, this is so important. We are not focused on people who have gifts. That's not our focus. God used Balaam's donkey to talk. Any proud pastor who thinks he's gifted should be reminded of Balaam's donkey, right? (laughs) What God uses is his word. And we have the privilege of using our mouths. Praise the Lord. But our mouths ought to only communicate God's word. That's Peter, or Peter's point. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now lest we get off track and go down a bad rabbit trail, we are not talking about the dictation theory. <laughs> All right, the dictation theory of inspiration is literally That the men that wrote the scriptures almost went into a trance-like state, and then God just used their bodies like automatons, and they wrote out the word of God. That's not what Peter is saying, and the reason I know that's not what Peter is saying is because Peter's personality comes through still strong. In fact, Peter just wrote about his eyewitness testimony. He is not an automaton writing scripture, but the Holy Spirit is guiding him to be inspired. There is a difference. So getting back to a question I asked earlier, when did 2 Peter get inspired? When it, was when it was written. So Peter is writing the word of God as he's writing the word of God here. That's what's working on. And They get this from him, and that's what he's saying. And he's addressing this because he's preparing them for something. But I want us to go back as we close. He's saying... I intend to remind you of these qualities. You already know this stuff. (laughs) You already know this, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. I hope you never get tired of the encouragements and the admonitions to stick to the word of God, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. That's Peter's point. Questions, comments as we close this evening? Yes. Um, I'm studying in my class um, and I'm reading a book called from, by Kevin DeYoung. Yes. Taking God at Word. Yes. And he makes a point of how Christ fulfills is the fulfillment of all Scripture. Yes. And everything ends with Him. Yes. Even the New Testament scholars who are writing, who some people would argue, well, they're adding to Scripture, yes. like, no, they're just teaching or writing what Jesus taught them, which was explaining in a truer fashion what happened in the Old Testament. That's right. So we can defend ourselves in that point of the New Testament and the authority of the New Testament by listening yes. to that. Yes. But understanding that they didn't write something they thought or their interpretation. They were just regurgitating basically what Christ taught them. Yeah. yeah. They were telling... Ta- the, the apostles were writing what Jesus taught them. By the way, that book by Kevin Young I referenced last Sunday evening. It's worth worth the read for those of you who haven't read it. Um, and... Just a tangent d- gently there to that, many would say, and I don't, I don't like it, I've heard preachers say, well, the apostles were a bunch of, you know, the disciples rather, a bunch of a dumb, dumb fishermen, right? They didn't, you know, they didn't go to seminary, and they didn't take a bunch of classes, they just were used of God. Uh, let me just say <laughs> that they had the best seminary professor for three years that ever walked the world. All right. They literally sat under the feet of Jesus. So don't think that they're not educated men. They are way more educated than any of us can shake a stick at. I don't know what kind of degree that is that we would put it in terms of, but I'd say it's beyond a doctrine. So that's what they are. They're not just dumb fishermen, right? These are Educated at the feet of our Lord, to his point. And when he's teaching, Peter's writing, he's saying, I'm an eyewitness. What he's alluding to is, I have, I've sat under all of this. I've seen all this. Yes. Other questions and comments? Pastor Paul. I'd like to encourage everyone that's here tonight don't miss Sunday nights. Just yes. goes right into it, and it's such a great preparation. Sunday nights are really good teaching. So if, if you're not in the habit of coming Sunday nights, try it out. Yes. It's really important. Actually, Sunday nights, particularly this Sunday evenings, comes in like fashion to what we just looked at. The title of the message is, How Does the Holy Spirit Speak? So, it kind of falls on the heels of what we've been looking at this evening. Other questions and comments? Alright. Well, fun discussion this evening. I trust it was as encouraging to you as it was for me to go through in study and in teaching this evening. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and Lord, we say that often, that we are thankful for your word, but may we really recognize the value of it, that it, it is the, everything we need for life and godliness, but it also keeps us on the right path and away from the heretical ditches on either side. Lord, may we continue to come back to it. May we govern all that we do according to it. If we hear something new, may we guide it and, and, and kind of compare it to your word and make sure that what we're hearing is true and right and just and all of those things. We're thankful for it, and we really do mean that. In your name, amen. amen. All right, you are dismissed this evening.